You're listening to R&D in the QC with Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston. Episode 14, we talk about Charlotte as a music destination. We're joined by Andrew Dunn of Long Leaf Politics and Councilwoman Dimple Ashmera. Welcome to episode 14. 14! I think funny to say about the number 14. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> what? That was the count. The count. Sesame Street oh, count. Okay. <laughs> 14. Uh, all oh, that's right. a good one. Yeah, unscripted. Where do we go from there? I don't know. Um, so, count me tonight. Did I mention I was tired? No, you didn't because Larkin? it's not even 9.30 This yet. is, yeah, this is super early for we, us. This was our, our fastest council meeting to date. Four months in, we certainly had never broken the 9 o'clock threshold but we mm. did it tonight mm. and um so yeah so this is about as bright-eyed and bushy-tailed as we're going to be yeah it was a short meeting because uh out of our consent items tonight this was a business meeting so we had our dinner briefing where we had some presentations from staff on from one from charlotte water one talking about um community connectivity with uh, walking biking um road improvements things like that went down to the Chamber, we had our public forum, which we can talk a little bit about. Our consent agenda items, we only had one that was pulled for a later discussion. Everything else passed. We uh, talked our council mayor topics. Uh, we were out of there. Yeah. We knocked it out so of the park you, today. So you just reminded me of something. Um, when we were talking about the, the whole kind of sidewalks, the Charlotte Walks plan, all that stuff, the one thing I was curious about in that presentation, I'm just going to mention it to you in case you have a, a, a position on it. I probably will. Yeah. Uh, what's the rush? Because the, the, it was brought up towards the end, you know, has the developer and business community had a chance to weigh in on the final points and and it basically it was like it's coming to you for vote at the end of this month essentially and this is the last presentation you're going to have and I, I just felt confused because maybe it's because we're new but I leaned over to you and Justin and a few others and was like have you guys actually seen this I mean I before that presentation no one has handed me anything to read and these are while I agree and we need to you know cut out loopholes that are preventing you know folks from doing the right thing as it relates to following our ordinances for proper safe sidewalks and, you know, traversability and things like that. Um, uh, you know, I, there are impacts. And every time you do something like that, you're, you're, you're further kind of, uh, um, backing into a corner some of the things that you may no longer actually get because you put more regulation. So I'm not saying I'm against it or I'm for it. It sounds like a great idea, but I'm just wondering what the rush is and, and why, we're, one, I haven't seen or read anything, and two, why people were more unwilling to go back and really get some more co- specific commentary. Not we met six times over the last eighteen months, but what is the business community's response to this? Well, a couple of things. I don't think that coming home with six new, well, five new council members. I don't think we can necessarily expect every project that's in the works to press reset and start over because no but someone could shoot us a copy of whatever they're talking about so we could glance at it but greg uh councilmember greg phipps mentioned he said you know i felt like this was pretty well baked and ready to go last november when the previous council talked about it so i think for most of the returning council members this is something that was pretty pretty fully fleshed out and they were just kind of ironing out a few little uh, wrinkles, one of which it sounded like was they did go back, meet with the development community, um, 
and particularly the affordable housing development community to say, if you incur an additional cost because we want to create more pedestrian-friendly environments around these new developments, um, we will come in with dollars to help cover that gap because we don't want to burden the affordable housing development community in a way that prevents them from achieving our even higher goal of uh, tackling this affordable housing crisis. So I think they did work out what were just a few wrinkles in a plan that most of the past council probably felt like was pretty ready to go. You're making a big assumption there. Uh, but I mean, I, I, I'll trust our colleague, Mr. Phipps, in that he said, what is, what is taking so long? I felt like we almost did this in November. Now it's April. And I'll say, too, you said, what's the urgency? Um, you can't predict this. And, and I'll certainly knock on wood as I say it. If we wait another month, if we made another four months, we could have another pedestrian hit by a car and killed. We could yeah. have another cyclist hit by a car and killed. And those things do not happen infrequently in this community. We just lost, and we've mentioned it, I think, last week. We lost a young lady on her way to school, on her way to catch the bus to go to school. We lost a young lady, um, a high school student, 16 years old, uh, like a week and a half ago. So this stuff happens, and, and we've got far too many areas that don't have sidewalks. Uh, we've got far too many areas. We know we need more bike lanes. We know we need more and better sidewalks. Uh, we need more and better lighting so that... that Pedestrians and cyclists are more visible to, to cars. Um, so that's the rush. But look, I mean, I, I, you I know, I totally agree with that point. But he, I, I'm coming at it from a totally different angle because literally every week there's at least one, if not multiple examples of we're being presented something in a creative or strategic way. It's kind of high level. Oh, we'll hit this re real fast. And then all of a sudden jam for a quick vote. And we, we don't get time to read things. We don't get time to ask questions. And one scenario is this was, to your point, completely baked out a year ago. Everyone looked at all the specific language and ordinances and the impacts to the budget and the impacts to the business community and the positive this would do to safety. And then it's just here and we're, we're late to the party. That's one, that's one scenario. There's another scenario, which is no one actually read or saw any of the specific wording. Everyone saw those same slides that we saw of let's have more sidewalks and close the loophole. And here's the picture. And here's what they did and didn't do. And no one actually looked at the wording of the ordinance and, and had a dialogue about what those impacts are to the, you know, growth and our budget and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I think we can figure out which of those two is the, is the way that this went down, but you know, I, to, to use an analogy back to my original point, if if the last council made it 90 yards down the field and now five new players come on the field, does, does staff feel like they have to start back over on the other end of the field on a, a project? I, I agree. If, if everything is fair and right yeah. in the first scenario of the two laid out, I laid out, absolutely on not. Some of these I think we do need to rely on, and we need to, uh, we need to take the opportunity between now and, and the next meeting to talk to the returning council members and say how well – fleshed out was this before we came on council and do you feel comfortable with where it was before we got here and if so get us up to speed as quickly as you can so that we feel comfortable voting for it because it is a priority it does need to happen sooner than later um, and if they were almost to the goal line I don't necessarily feel the need to make them start this whole process over I think that's not a good use of staff's time but we need to have that assurance from our returning colleagues to say, yeah, we really vetted this thing last year. It was almost done. We just needed a couple of tweaks. We've got those now. We need to move forward. Let, let me weave this topic into another one where uh, probably 80% of a packed house 
of our speakers tonight talked about, which was affordable housing. And, you know, it was the, the, the same topics and stories we basically heard. There were a couple that were very impactful to me to really put some, uh, especially with the elderly aging in place, uh, the, the, to see the faces and the individual stories of what we're trying to solve for. Very important. But here, back to the realization that we talked about in last week's episode that we learned last week's strategy meeting of 50 to 80 percent AMI, the area median income, uh, is is not a problem. And in fact, we have a 25,000 unit surplus. So we've already, so now I'm overlaying that new piece of information into everything we're hearing. So when the groups were talking to us today, the lady who lived in her car, she's 30% and below, right? That's where this crisis is. And I think we finally got to that point. And we also learned that 30% and below deals are barely viable in this current route. Like they've got to be just... 20% or less tagged on to all these other much more uh, market rate or higher AMI units that are out there. So now we're out there still going back to business as usual saying, oh, we're going to help invest in sidewalks and things like that. No one's solving the 30% and below problem with real estate right now. No one has figured out how to crack it. And I go back to the away home group, which is a totally different route there. Are we still making decisions and lining up our 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 plans of where we're going on antiquated bad data that's been handed to us. I'm not sure. I'm not going to tie those two things together in the way you just did, because I think the examples that were given us about the sidewalk stuff tonight was a Walmart that was built on North Tryon right near the, the light rail. Which and I was referring to the affordable housing parallel okay. they made, yeah, because not the, that that one, but well, yeah, that's a good and point. And I'm not just using that one by itself. I'm using it as an example yeah. of others where the private development community, in this case Walmart, spent a ton of money developing a site and yet our antiquated sidewalk ordinance allowed for them to build a sidewalk where people are walking despite the fact that they're on a sidewalk they are right up against traffic i feel like there's got to be more to this story like why would you do that if you had the option and it's it's just, it looks nicer it's a little bit cheaper i mean how much cheaper is it like i, I it, it can't be very way, much that walmart's not that old and so it was yeah. built and i'd love to learn a little more of that backstory certainly since you and i i mean not, way since you and I've been here, like in the last five years that Walmart opened. So that's the kind of thing where we're talking about not a, this is not in any way, that part is not in any way tied to whether or not we can do what we want to do on affordable housing. And if we found a way to, to lighten the burden or eliminate the burden on affordable housing developers who that sidewalk policy could create more cost for by us offsetting that cost. I don't think that that comes at the expense of that either. I, you know, it's interesting. I actually had a discussion on the affordable housing thing and about what you're talking about with the numbers we saw last week. I actually had a discussion with somebody today, and I don't know how we'd ever quantify this. Um, maybe there's a way. Someone smarter than us can figure it out. Um, but with this glut that we supposedly have in the you know the 80% range, for instance, I wonder how many of our police officers, firefighters, nurses, teachers, all the all those people in that kind of price or salary range that we talk about, I wonder how many of them don't live in Mecklenburg County, but would if they could afford it. Yeah. And so I don't know that, you know, we, we say we have this huge surplus, but would would there be more people? Now, I'm sure some of them choose to live outside of the county because they want more land. They want lower property taxes. They want whatever it is that they want uh, about that area. But, you know, I, I still think there's there's not as many as we think there are because I, I I think if they were there, more of those people would choose to live in this community. And I, 
anecdotally and experiences that I and you and others have all had with, with folks in those career paths and, and in those realms, there are people who just don't live in Charlotte because they can't afford to. Um, so I don't know. I, we need to get UNC Charlotte, the data science initiative, and, and some others that have volunteered help to really help us drill into these numbers because I, I am back to square one, uh, not, not fully trusting um, a, a baseline of what the real problem is that we are trying to solve for after last week. But I'll, I'll say this, you know, to all the people, and it was like eight of our 10 speakers tonight were about affordable housing, and there was dozens of folks there with signs supporting those speakers. I will say this, if any of them are listening or any others that are similarly minded, um, I mean, this, I can assure you every person, the mayor and 11 council members, all 12 of us every day, spend a good part of our day thinking about housing. Um, so I, I hope no one thinks, oh, well, they haven't done anything. I mean, we're in the middle of a budget cycle. We're trying to figure out how all of these things work into the budget, how they work into a bond package for the ballot in the fall. Um, so I hope that no one feels like somehow that's fallen off our radar because I don't think anything is more on our radar to a person on this council than housing. And yeah, we, we, we're all over it. And so I, I, I and only I'm question, not saying we, we've figured out all the answers. We're working really hard. Yeah. And I'm, I'm questioning if we're working as smart as yeah. we should be. And I, I think we've got to constantly question the process, question the data, question any any proposals that are brought forward to us. But, but I just hope that the people that were there tonight and others like them don't think that a lot of us ran on housing and then somehow forgot it when we got here. Um, I mean, it's, like I said, it's literally probably the thing most of us think most about on any given day. And unfortunately, the, the pace of government, a lot of these things move slow. A lot of this is hinging on the budget process. A lot of it hinges on the bond package. So um, it's going to take time, but I, I can assure anyone out there who's thinking about it that we're thinking about it too. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, let's use our remaining time here to talk about, we haven't got to do this. I think we, we alluded to it one time. But you and I have a new initiative that we've decided to go headfirst in, make kind of maybe our trademark. I wonder if we can name it after the podcast. Yeah, I, I think so. The R&D initiative. Um, but uh, th- this is uh, something that the I know that we're both very... all people together. All people together. And what is that thing, Larkin? Well, pizza brings all people together. But in this case, we're talking mm. about music. Music. And not just music, but an initiative... That will start, certainly won't finish, um, to make Charlotte a music destination. Musical again. Musical again. I love it. <laughs> again? Charlotte. That doesn't really have like much of a ring to it acronym-wise. Yes. But um, I think I've decried on this show possibly. If not, I've certainly done it uh, to a lot of people in this community. The fact that, and you and I have been here, I think, about the same amount of time. Um, in that time, we have lost some of our most core institutions in the live music mm. scene. Um, Double Door Inn is always the first one that comes to mind for me and was the most painful for me. We've lost Tremont. We've lost Chopshop. We've lost Amos's South End. Um, and I'm sure we'll lose more. And and those have at times been replaced, at times not. But when they are replaced, they're replaced by big national concert venues where you know the beers are twice as expensive, the tickets are twice as expensive. And those venues bring in some some big names that maybe we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. But I think that it's left a hole in our local music scene where we can cultivate musical talent here, where people can go out and see a show for 10 bucks and drink $4 beers. Um, like there, there's something, there's something in 
going into the evening muse and learning about the crazy science of the sound as it reverberates off the walls and crisscrossing and there's sand, tons of sand underneath, you know, and then... I saw my friends at the Evening Muse last week, by the way, and they said, thanks for sending your buddy Tarek. He had a good time. (laughs) See, I I have a good time everywhere I go. They they remembered you. (laughs) Well, but so that's that's one spot. Um, You know, there's several others, but the point is we need to, we need to, we need to organize around this. And we need to come up with a plan and a strategy that's multifaceted and has a long-term vision and view with some short-term wins along the way. And we've already started brainstorming. We're we're at the very beginning of this journey, but we've talked with some leaders. We have a meeting coming up, I think this week, actually, with a few folks uh, in the community who lead in different areas here to really just start brainstorming. And we know one area is, you know, we've got this stadium here. That is in part taxpayer funded with some things going on there. And we have access to five days a year. We we should have stadium shows. We have folks in our community that organize the Carolina Country Music Festival. Um, the, you know, there's a lot of opportunities there on the stadium side. There's a lot of opportunities on the small venue side and really wrapping around the community there and making them successful. And then we, you and I have been discussing What's our hook? What's the thing that makes makes us a destination for musical acts, for these bands to come and want to be? And for some of these new new technology music companies like a Spotify, like a Pandora, like a And that's exactly what I think it is. Yeah. It's it, let's not try to rip off Austin or any Nashville, of these other great yeah. places, Nashville that are Let's take advantage of what we're good at already, which is we're looking at technology. We've got a really innovative uh, community here. So people are no longer. FinTech FinTech is hot right now. Yeah, dude. I'll tell you more about it. Tell me about it later, if you would, Larkin. Um, That I'm clarifying so people know whose voices are who, because that that humor would be lost on you if you didn't know. Um, But I, 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 and we both agree, believe that. People are no longer signing with a record label, getting a deal, burning a CD, getting it in a distribution channel at Target, and then we're going and buying CDs. It's just not how it works anymore. I still get my CDs at Target. Well, yeah, but so get them fast. (laughs) Um, But this is the the new way is Spotify. You know, all all of these different digital uh, hubs where you can go and stream music and membership form. So, how can we be on the front end of either that? Or what's coming next, if and the CEO become that Spotify home. is listening, which he, and, which he is probably come yeah. here and open a second headquarters. Yeah, we've got sixty nine acres. Or if you're in Charlotte <laughs> and you're at one of our our um, accelerators, or you're at one of our, if you if you have something, if you've got a business and it can tie into the back end business side of music, reach out to us. If you've so got, if you're a musician in Charlotte and you've got an idea that you think. If only Charlotte had this, we could attract more musical talent. We could attract uh, more of an art scene in general. I think, you know, we're open to ideas here. This is a, a very early stage thing that we think Charlotte has lost a lot of in terms of the cultural side of music. But we also think there's a lot of business opportunities on the back end of the music business. And I, you know, we're open to ideas. Hit us up on our Facebook page. Yeah, this is a call to action, man. Call Uh, to action from the community. Help us, help us add to this plan, which really isn't much of a plan, other uh, other than some things that we've randomly said uh, and and want to explore. So help us figure that out.
Well, well said, sir. <laughs> Indeed. That's a, right. the only way I say things, before, Larkin. Before we end the segment, do you want to give a, a quick plug for your... Oh, yeah. Tomorrow, today, whenever you're listening to this, Tuesday, April 10th, uh, section, segment four, uh, step four of the South Park CNIP is happening from, I think it's uh, 10 or 11 a.m., uh, just come at 11 to be safe, in case it's not 10, uh, to 7 p.m. Drop in anytime at Morrison Library um, to see uh, the unveiling of the projects that we've chosen for the South Park CNIP $10 million investment. And there are two presentations, both identical at noon and 5 o'clock, where we'll actually be walking through those things. We'll also be on, uh, on WFA in the morning. Uh, I, I just checked your Facebook event. It's 11 a.m. Mm. to 7 p.m. Good, see? Uh, and your presentations are at noon and 5.30. Good, so come early for the 5.30 because it's going to be standing room only, which is why I said 5. Fair enough. <laughs> not, not at all. Um, good. Thanks for that clarification, Larkin. Yeah, man. So um, what are you doing for the rest of the week? What do you got planned? Uh, way too much. Yeah. You're just out there, dude. Everyone's updates around council. Uh, Thank you, Councilman Eggleston, for joining me at uh, the 15th event you went to this week. You can't know what the people need and what they want if you're not with the people, Tark. Mm, So true. Speaking of with the people, the people we'll be with later in this show, Mm. Mr. Andrew Dunn from Longleaf Politics and our own colleague, Councilwoman Dimple Ajmira, they're coming right up. What have they done to the old home place? Why did they tear it down? And why did I leave the plow in the field and look for a job in the town? All right, welcome back, folks. We have a real special treat for you. We've been planning to do this for a while. The R&D and the QC Meet the Press segment. And our first Meet the Press guest is none other than the founder and operator of Longleaf Politics, the guru of the Charlotte Agenda, many other things. But ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Dunn, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me on. This is like a real role reversal here. Like I'm supposed to be the one hosting and asking you guys questions. We are in charge now, my friend, and we are going to bring it. We're going to bring the heat. Speaking of which, have you started a Longleaf Politics podcast yet? Not yet, but stay tuned. Is well, this is it. The works? This is it. This is his Longleaf Politics uh, intro, intro into. So take us through. What do you want to talk about today? What do I want to talk about today? <laughs> uh, well, I was just at a thrilling press conference with uh, with esteemed co-host of this podcast, Larkin Eggleston, talking about the he new... He is esteemed. Mm. Mm-hmm. The very cool uh, partnership between Lyft and Cats, where if you're starting or ending your trip, your Lyft trip around the Parkwood or UNC Charlotte station, uh, you can get $4 off your ride. So, uh, so clarification, and this is confusing, admittedly, the JW Clay station, so not the on-campus UNC Charlotte station, but the one right off-campus adjacent to the campus at JW Clay. Yes, it does sound confusing. So what did you do today exactly, Larkin? Well, besides solve the first mile, last mile problem for our light rail infrastructure investment, just out there that's all I've done so far. Love it. Well, man. that, well, we can get into that later. I'm also saving a mural this morning. Mm. Mm. Sounds great. Two Screws Creamery 
Someone tried to tell me how to paint over their mural. Not going to happen on my watch. Great. If you don't like murals, move to Tarks District. In District 1, <laughs> there's going to be murals. It's, it's the only order. requirement. D1 is Mural Town. So, Andrew, um, let's talk about Longleaf Politics for a minute. I've got it up right here. Uh, you've, uh, you've you've just started this, but it's come out with, with a bang, uh, especially the, the series you've done on the different types of Republicans, Democrats, and Independents. Uh, in North Carolina, um, what what was your uh, inspiration for doing that one particularly? Well, look, I'm a I'm a North Carolina politics junkie. I, I use the hashtag NCPaul on Twitter all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, got to a point where I felt like I I had a platform and an opportunity to weigh in on North Carolina politics. So that's why I started Longleaf Politics back in in January. You know what I'm doing there? It doesn't it doesn't really fit in with my day job at Charlotte Agenda. I'm doing more city government city education development stuff. You know, Longleaf is all about what's going on statewide. Um, and, you know, what, you mentioned that series that I just did. Uh, I kind of wanted to, uh, you know, so there's two big parties, obviously, Democrats and Republicans in North Carolina. And I don't think too many people really understand that they're, they're really coalitions of a lot of different types of, of people in our state. So I kind of just wanted to give an inside look there. Which one are you actually kind of getting you back to your... Your roots, too, because before you started with Agenda, you were doing primarily the education beat, right, on uh, for the Charlotte Observer. So kind of getting you back into that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I've gotten to do a little bit, you know, kind of more in-depth policy coverage there. So I did a story. One of my first stories was actually taking kind of a holistic look at what the changes have been in the in education policy over the last, you know, five, six years since Republicans have taken over the General Assembly. Have you thought about crossing streams and doing, like, Longleaf Politics identifies the 37 best places to go see a candidate form while doing yoga with your dog and drinking local beer. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Strong. That's you come great. up with the great ideas live on the air all the time. Yeah. Well, you never know. <laughs> so where are you going with this, uh, Longleaf Politics, as a publication? Do you have, like, a vision where, where it's going to end up, or is it just kind of you're passionate about these topics and let's let it flow? And Yeah, I, I'm trying to, at this point, kind of preserve a lot of optionality. Um, you know, right now I'm kind of doing it real low key. Uh, only only NC Paul junkies know about it right now, which is is kind of neat. You know, so I'm getting a lot of people who who have actual influence uh, who are reading it. Um, get to talk talk nerdy about North Carolina politics with them. You know, if it gets big, if it, it you know starts getting thousands and thousands of readers, then you know I'll kind of reevaluate and see what happens. But you know, right now I'm just enjoying enjoying the ride. Nice. Well, hey, it's gonna have thousands and thousands of readers now that you're about to get the R and D and the QC huge bump, bump huge uh, bump. But also, it's not just people with influence that read your uh, read your email, look at your website. Tark and I look at it too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah. that's so true. So I heard you say on the, another podcast you were on that um, that one of the things you try to really focus on is drive, d- dropping deep into the content and and really you know maybe some of the spin the, some of the spin I see it just really bothers me on, on in some of the more traditional mainstream Andrew media. Dunn's no spin zone. Yeah, no spin zone. But I, I I would tend to agree that when I read your stuff, I don't know if it's the nature of how you write it, or if it's just that you're dropping to such a deeper level of detail that it just feels more balanced. But how, how do you do that? And how do you make sure you keep doing that? Because I think that's really important. Yeah. So, you know, right now, North Carolina is very much a purple state. So we have, you know, it, it's very close to 50-50 Democrat and Republican. Um, in terms of population. In terms of population. <laughs> that's right. That's important to note. 
Um, but what that means is that, you know, when Republicans are in charge, there is a large number of Democrats who who are disagreeing with the policy proposals that are coming forward. So Damn right we are. <laughs> anytime that there's something put out on one side, there's uh, you, either a protest or kind of a, a counteraction on the other side. And, you know, kind of the formula for what makes a mainstream news publication is that you have to cover both sides. And so a lot of column inches, a lot of airtime is being spent kind of explaining, so Republicans did this, and then here was the Democrat response. Uh, and when you're spending so much time doing that, it, you know, kind of the substance, you know, evaluating what's actually happening, what the actual policy is, can kind of get lost in that. Mm. So what I'm doing is, you know, I'm not going to cover a protest. Uh, there's plenty of outlets that are doing that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, you know, get into the nitty gritty of the actual bill, the actual proposal, and I'm going to kind of ignore the noise and focus on the signal. So what's your what's your take? Final final thing on the long leaf politics side. What's your take? You just did this series on the different types of Democrats, Republicans, and and unaffiliated voters. Um, you know, you've obviously paid a lot of attention in the content, what's going on in the state legislature, local um, redistricting, all these things. Just in a general level, ten years from now, what do you think the what do you think the two party system that we have today is going to look like? Because it, I I feel like it's on this trajectory of of self implosion right now where it's just getting less and less productive more people playing team sports than actually trying to figure out what it is that they're they're executing on so with all this analysis and and the way you pay attention to it where do you think this that we're going from from this point over the next 10 years oh boy all right uh well i really think uh, to a large extent, it's going to be people like yourself and Larkin here who are, who are going to determine that. You know, when I was putting together, you know, analyzing the coalitions that make up the mainstream political parties, I kind of had to separate young people into their own category. Mm-hmm. They don't fit neatly into, you know, the categories that are, that are making up today's political parties. They're, you know, young people. And by young, I mean, you know, 40, 40 or younger-ish mm-hmm. uh, are really kind of carving out their own policy positions, their own uh, you know, brand of being a Republican or being a Democrat. Uh, so I, you know, I think that there's going to be, you know, we keep looking at, you know, when are millennials going to make up the largest part of the electorate? I think when that tip finally happens, it may be 10 years, maybe 15, maybe 20 years from now. But um, when that happens, I think we'll start to see, you know, major differences. Yeah. All right. Lightning round. Mm. Question number one. Dead or alive, if you could interview one Republican and one Democrat from North Carolina political history. Wow. You said you're a North Carolina political history buff. Dead or alive, who would you want to interview one from each party? Who oh boy. Uh, good question. I, you know, I've been really trying to get an interview with John Edwards for a long time now. Uh, I know. Is he, is he still on the scene? I haven't heard his name in a long time. Dead or time. alive, we're good. He's alive. He's alive. No, I know that he's alive. That's not what I meant by on the scene. I, I meant, does he still do interviews or, or do people still see him? I don't, I haven't heard, I haven't seen his name anywhere. You know, he, huh. he got a little bit of press when, you know, he's back still practicing here. law. Here? Uh, no, he's, he's in the triangle area. Yeah. He's, he's done some actual, actual big cases lately, uh, huh. but he's kind of kept his, his head down on the political scene. But yeah, I feel probably like, a good idea. Yeah. Oh, maybe. You, know, you say that, but you know, look at you know, candidates today, it doesn't matter what So let's go to the, the main event now, Republican. Who would, okay. you, who would you prefer to uh, interview there? I mean, my favorite Republican interview is Tark Bakari, of, of course. Of course, of um, course. Agreed. 
with dead or alive. I don't. I, I really. <laughs> Y'all can't see my eyes right now, but they're rolling. <laughs> no, no, he's totally uh, right. Uh, probably Jim Martin. I, I mm. just finished. Oh, that's, uh, my, that's my guy. Actually, I like that. Here guy. we go. <laughs> I just finished <laughs> no, reading. I think uh, his biography or, or a biography on him called Catalyst. It was fascinating. I, I think that um, he's a fascinating guy. I would love to talk to him. Let's continue the lightning round. Next question: What are the top three races to watch that will be just very interesting? Uh, in, in this 2018 election cycle? I mean, the number one I'm watching is is Congressional District 9 mm-hmm. here in North Carolina, which uh, Robert Pittenger's seat, um, he's facing a lot of challenges. You know, in, in his own party, you know, Mark Harris lost by 134 votes, I think, was, was the final But a margin. lot's changed since then, and you've got a, a, a an incumbent who's had two years now to really get to know P- the constituency. Pittenger's going to win that primary, but the, the more important piece of Harris being in there is Pittenger's going to have to spend money. Well, do you agree with that, first of all? I think he will. I mean, I've seen some polling, and, of course, primary election polling is really hard to do yeah. well. Um, I don't I, believe any polls anymore after the last couple of years, by the way. They just – they just. but I like yeah. this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I do think if I had to put money on it, I would say Pittenger would win. Um, and in the in the general, too? In the Well, well, if I had to put money on it, I'd say he would – he he will win that one as well. I think Dan McCready is the strongest candidate, uh, one of the strongest candidates the Democrats put forward there in a long, long time. Um, I think the question is well, the two questions. Uh, let me clarify. He's the only strong candidate we've put forward well, since Jennifer Roberts ran against Pittenger, and that was, I believe, in 2012. So we we have not we have not given Robert Pittenger a serious challenge since Jennifer Roberts ran, and that was when Sue Myrick was vacating the seat and it was an open seat, and it was very different lines that were. A much more of an uphill climb for Democrats. So um, I think it'll be close. I, I do think the important part about Harris being in it is that Pittenger's going to have to spend and yeah. then re-raise going into the it's general. It's going to be really tough. McCready, if he's got good people around him, isn't going to spend a dime until May 9th. Well, he's got a competitive uh, primary as well. He does not. He has a <laughs> he has someone else on the ballot in his primary. Don't confuse that well, with the, the, the other The other, so money is definitely one of the two big questions I have and how that general will, will play out. The other one is, I'm, I'm just curious, are, is there a major blue wave essentially about to crash over this country right now or not? And I, I, don't, I think if the election were tomorrow that there probably is, but it's not tomorrow. It's in, it's in the fall, and so I... Who knows what happens between now and then? Well, you know, that's for sure. You know, and maintaining that momentum is, is going to be a challenge. Um, but, you know, to, to that point, the, the other big races that I'm following are kind of your, your General Assembly races in your more suburban areas. So maybe your Andy Doolin, and your Scott Stone races mm. here locally. If there's going to be a blue Joel wave. Joel Ford, Mustafa Muhammad is, is going to be a pretty competitive Who primary. just, he just lost, uh, uh, Muhammad just got the BPC, BPC endorsement. endorsement. Yep. yep. You know, I think if there's going to be a blue wave, it's going to be in those areas. That's where it's going to show up, your suburban areas around your big metros. I think your urban districts are pretty safe. Your really rural districts are pretty safe, but you know, th- those margins are where it's going to show up. Speaking of great governors from North Carolina named Jim, Jim Hunt's daughter mm-hmm. running uh, out in the Matthews area against Bill Brawley for North Carolina House seat. I think that one could be one of the more competitive ones as well in the fall. Mm. Yeah, for sure. All right, lightning round question number three. You get to pick your song that we bring you into for the show. Yeah, what's your jam, man? So what's what's the Andrew Dunn theme song? You, you don't get to pick Andrew it, but you get to you get to make a suggestion, and then. Who you know? I listen to a lot of bluegrass, a lot of kind of your neo. Say no more, man. What's your favorite band? I, I've got a, some uh, great Chatham bluegrass. County Line would probably be right. my favorite. Okay. We won't go with that one this time, but I'm glad to hear that. We will play some bluegrass, however. Denied. <laughs> <laughs> Request denied. Well, good, man. Well, um. 
Really appreciate you coming on. Really appreciate all that you do out there. Uh, your, your stories are definitely uh, compelling and a different angle than we uh, than we see anywhere else. So we appreciate you out there. Final word? Sign up for Longleaf Politics, longleafpolitics.com. Nice. Longleafpolitics.com. Larkin? Good work, friend. All right. We'll, we'll be right back. Another one of our wonderful colleagues joining us on the podcast for the first time, Councilwoman Dimple Ajmera. So Dimple came on the council. Dimple, was it in January or February of 2017? January. January of 2017. She replaced uh, now State Representative John Altria when he was elected and uh, appointed or elected and installed into that seat. She represented District 5 for 10 months. And then this uh, past election was elected to an at-large council seat. So that is where she now serves. Welcome to the podcast, Dimple. Oh, thank you. Welcome. Thank you, Larkin. Uh, I appreciate it. In fact, uh, I and Larkin served on Young Democrats together. Uh, I was his vice chair at a time, and I learned a lot. Um, uh, and we did some great uh, work together, uh, motivating and encouraging young folks to get involved in community. And um, uh, I had a great time serving with you among uh, uh, many others. Is this, is this like a local nonprofit or what? I haven't heard of this. What is it? Well, I, I took the I took the slow path. That was like the fast path. She went from, I think, third vice president to city council. <laughs> I, I took three years to move up through the ranks. And then uh, Dimple just said, to hell with all of that. I'm jumping right into city council. So she, she accelerated quickly. I'll take because some, he didn't endorse me. I'll, I'll take some credit as her mentor. And, uh, That's right. Because of, because of Larkin's endorsement. I might or might not have slow played my campaign announcement so as not to poison the well for her getting the appointment. That's right. Um, so, notwithstanding, um, you have got something coming up. This, this is Monday night. Our show will be up in just an hour or so. And you've got something going on tomorrow. So for most of our listeners that are listening, uh, that'll be, I mean, it's going to get complicated if I try yeah, to do yeah, it you're, you're, We're going to call it Tuesday. A, a Tell us here, about the, the event you have Tuesday, which will be, is that April 10th. 10th. 10th? Most of our listeners are hearing it. It's going to be coming up very quickly. Tell them about it. Yes. So I'm going to have a town hall on school safety on Tuesday, the April 10th at 6 p.m. at the Government Center in room CH14. You don't have to RSVP, just show up and we'd love to have you there. Uh, this town hall is designed to address the fear and anxiety among students, teachers, and parents and uh, potentially arrive at some real solutions at the local level. This is not a Democrat or Republican thing, talk. Um, mm. I think you'd like to hear that. Uh, this is really to how do we create a safe environment for our students, teachers, and parents. In fact, I had a meeting uh, with um, uh, Dr. Wilcox uh, after hearing from many parents and teachers and students about how uh, they felt unsafe at schools. And I had gathered some very candid feedback on uh, from various leaders in the community so i decided to put this town hall to potentially address some of that fear that we have so we've i think talked about it before and some of our listeners will know some might not the schools are mostly a function of the county and the county's budget um, we have limited interaction with that talk about what the city does for the schools and what you see obviously i'll unpack this more tomorrow but 
what you see is the opportunities for the city to be involved in, in schools and in school safety? So, yes. So the ways uh, uh, we get involved is through CMPD. Uh, so obviously, whenever there is an active shooter situation, uh, CMPD gets called. And CMPD are the first line of defense for any active shooter situation. So this is a more collaboration between our CMS and our CMPD to address the safety concerns. So obviously, uh, CMPD Chief Putney have put out uh, some uh, suggestions for schools to consider. And this is a perfect time timing for the town hall because based on the inputs from the community, students, parents, teachers, and our Chief Putney, along with CMS Chief Randy Hagler, uh, CMS will uh, submit a request to the county to ensure that our schools are safe. And uh, this is a perfect timing because the budget request is uh, uh, coming in um, and, uh, and then county approves the budget. But again, this is all collaboration between city, county, and CMS to keep our students safe. Because if there is a situation, guess what? Our CMPD are the first line of defense. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good, obviously, a timely topic. Are you going to uh, have any folks from the county or the school there to participate? Yes. Yeah, so we have CMS uh, chief, Randy Hagler, yeah. will be there. Also, their communication head, uh, Tracy Dust, will be there from CM CMS. And then we have CMPD Chief Putney will be there. Uh, in addition to our CMPD and CMS Chief, we are also going to directly hear from our students, our teachers, uh, PTA organizations, uh, and many other organizations uh, that uh, includes uh, community leaders. So everyone who is uh, who has this um, uh, who has. Uh, students in mind would be part of this forum. So if you have children, if you have grandchildren, or in general, if you are worried about uh, young generation safety, this is a good town hall for you to attend. And, and um, this, is, uh, this town hall is also designed to make folks aware of resources that are available, more for prevention measures. So Chief Randy Hagler is going to talk about some of the resources that we have. So if students, if students know about another student who might need mental help, or who might need additional counseling, coaching, and how they can help someone in need. So he'll also talk about some prevention measures. So hope everybody who can will attend that uh, either tomorrow or tonight, depending on when you're listening to this episode. One other thing before we close out the episode tonight, um, you and I get to the opportunity to lead, thanks to Mayor Lyle's appointments. You are the chair. I am your vice chair of the Environment Committee. So let our listeners in. We've talked a lot about um, stormwater on this show before, so we won't bore our listeners with any more stormwater discussions tonight. But talk about some of the other initiatives that you kind of want to lead for the Environment Committee as we go throughout this next year. So I will talk about two initiatives. And number one is clean energy. Uh, last year, council had proposed clean energy resolution. Uh, however, we had received overwhelming response from our uh, council members saying that resolution doesn't mean anything until we have a concrete plan in place. So resolution failed last year. Um, so we are coming back uh, this year as a chair of environment committee 
uh, I'm very excited that we will have an opportunity to not just put a resolution out there, but to uh, support it with a plan. And again, we are the first city in nation to do this, where we are not just uh, issuing a resolution, but we are putting together a plan to address how we are going to get to clean energy. So which includes short-term, mid-term, and long-term plan to get to that uh, goal. Uh, our goal is going to uh, depend on our baseline data so that work when it comes to coming up with the baseline data is underway with our partners such as Envision Charlotte. And I'm very excited about the leadership we have on Environment Committee this year uh, with very progressive uh, voice uh, and uh, with the with the long-term vision in mind. So I'm looking forward to working with you, uh, Larkin, and uh, and our honorary our honorary our, committee member Tarek. That's, that's right. right, honorary I member. I show up. Not voting. <laughs> non voting. That's right. Uh, and I think we are going to create something very transformational. So I'm very excited about that. The only thing I'd say about that, I, I applaud the entire committee for going about it this route. I think it's the right thing to do. Um, I, in, and we are on the cutting edge of doing this, as you said, with, uh, in a list of not any cities, really, uh, but, but our own. But we are going to get back something that no one else has, has gotten before, which is not just an aspirational you know, statement to make and say we're going to do this by a certain date, but what the true plan is and the ramifications of that plan. And I don't. Th I think it's going to be a very difficult conversation once we look at what getting to a hundred percent of something might actually take, which is why this was challenging before. So I think it's the absolute right thing to do, but I don't think it's just going to be a no-brainer when we see what will be some challenging heavy lifts to actually get it there. Well, and I think too, and. Uh Dimple can, can correct me if I'm off base, but my understanding of, of maybe the direction it's going to go this year as opposed to last year is that we're not necessarily going into the uh, discussion with the exact goal in mind, but more trying to use right. the, the information we get back to say, what is within our control, what is within our permit, and what is realistic, yeah. because we don't want to set goals that we know we can't achieve, That's and right. so That's I think right. it'll be uh, that we, have, we understand some of the constraints in terms of what we can control Obviously, we don't generate all of our own power. So we've, we've got to rely on our partners in the community that, that do generate a lot of that power, uh, one, in, one big one in particular. Uh, but I think there's the energy and the, and the push on their side to, to get involved and to help. Uh, I don't know that we've necessarily decided what the objective is. We want to make sure we're setting a goal that's achievable this time. That's yeah. correct, yes. So, well, we are very glad to have you on. When we get this clean energy thing rolling, we'll, we'll have you back on to update us. Uh, but thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed your first but not last visit to the R&D and the QC studio. It's beautiful mm -hmm. in here, isn't it? Oh, yes. I love it. It's so spacious. They turn the you. lights off. Yeah, that's that's we're all sitting in the dark now, <laughs> uh, which, is, which is interesting. We appreciate you listening to episode 14. We'd even appreciate it more if you shared it with your friends, if you like us on Facebook. If you'd subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars, We folks. prefer five stars. There you go. Uh, you know, we'd like to talk to the two of you who have given us four stars. It really hurts our feelings. Yeah, we'll find them. But <laughs> but the dozens of you who have rated us five stars, we love you more than the four-star people. That's right. Four-star people, we hope we're winning you over. Five stars. Yeah, change your rating. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll All see right. you back here next week for episode 15. Thanks, guys, for having me. Appreciate it. In the books. You're listening to R&D in the QC with Tarek Bakari and Larkin Eggleston. 